0: Thank you. Yes, indeed. This is the Boys of Tech episode 165 for Monday, the 7th of May 2012, which happens to be my wedding anniversary. I should probably do something today. Uh, You're with Edwin Herman. That's me coming to you live from the studio here in Wellington. Also joining me from Wellington over Skype is Brett King. Welcome along, Brett. How do? Oh, look, I'm couldn't be better, really. Wedding anniversary and all that sort of stuff. And I've remembered as well. So that's always, you know, brownie points. Indeed.
1: You just have to do something.
0: Yeah, I, I should probably do something now. Or cook dinner or buy some flowers or take her out somewhere or all of the above. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll look ahead at some of the stories that we're going to cover this week. First of all, Microsoft alters the search results page for Bing. And we're also going to look at a couple of robots, uh, completely independent of each other the first one is a bird robot that can do a soft landing on a specified target and the other one is a shampoo machine from panasonic it's got some nice massage action apparently very relaxing that and more in this week's episode first of all kicking off with microsoft simplifying the search results page for bing except nobody noticed
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you, what was the difference between the the new version and the old version?
0: (laughs) I don't know. Does anyone use Bing? I don't know. Because I haven't used Bing
1: in a very long time, since Mm. it first came out, in fact.
0: Yeah, I kind of just use Google as well. But what they've done is they had uh, a sort of a a sidebar, which had a whole lot of junk, and they've got rid of that. They're now going for a sort of a, a minimalist look, which is, in fact, quite the opposite of what Google is doing now, because now Google has a sidebar. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. You know, with indeed. web, uh, uh, I am looking at the pictures, etc. Date. What country yep. is it from?
1: Yep. I'm looking at the pictures, and the the big one is the Bing page is more googly than the Google pages.
0: Yeah, I know they've kind of swapped. So <laughs> yeah, styles. Yeah. Maybe we should start using Bing. You know what? Maybe. Maybe we should put the Bing skin on a Google engine and deliver that as a search engine. Could do. Which is what Google was. It's interesting because, you know, Microsoft's working very hard at Bing. It's not just letting it run itself. It's trying to be proactive. It's realized that, well, at least in its opinion, that less is more. Yep. And so they've gone ahead and made those changes.
1: Yeah, but it's more than just cosmetic, apparently. Apparently, it's also speeding up the search results, the page loads, obviously, because... You would think with a simplified simplified page, it would load faster. But yeah, that it's actually serving up the results faster as well. So they've done more than just changed the look and feel.
0: Well, you're right. Because the other thing they also have done is they've integrated it with a little bit of social networking. So if one of your Facebook friends has liked a result that you've searched for, that comes up in your search results, it'll have a little thumbs up next to it if one or more of your Facebook friends have liked that. Uh, yeah, so you can kind of instantly tell well you know if my friends like this then I'm possibly definitely not like going it. to read that well you're going to be the opposite some of the people I know Well, look, it can be equally helpful whichever (laughs) way you look at it. You can can say, Look, no, I'll I'll stay away from those ones because I know who my friends are.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. It's like, Oh, oh, that guy liked that. I'm not looking at that one then. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, Well, that's the other thing. You can see who's liked it by hovering over it and it shows you who's (laughs) liked it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, I like what Microsoft are doing here. I just mm. I just don't like their algorithm. It doesn't seem as good an algorithm as the Google algorithm. Yeah. I'll... But I like everything else about Bing. Mm. I like the imagery that came up. I like this idea of what we've just talked about now. The less clutter, the social, you know, the thumbs up for friends of like this. That yep. kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. They just need to work on their algorithm.
1: I'm sure they're working on
0: that in the background. Well, yeah, you'd hope so because that's really <laughs> – I. I to, to be honest, it will. It's not just my opinion. Evidence shows that that is really what counts when it comes to a search engine. How else did Google dislodge AltaVista? Yeah. I mean, there was the less clutter thing, admittedly, but Mm -hmm. you look at Bing now. I mean, and even Bing for a while wasn't all that cluttered anyway to start with. So, and it hasn't really eaten into the market. It's the algorithm. If you're getting rubbish results, you're going to get a rubbish audience. Yep. Yep. You've got to have a
1: good algorithm, but it's also about marketing and name choice too. Having this discussion uh, yesterday, in fact, um, about the names of search engines and how you know how Google has become synonymous, so that you know instead of actually saying oh, I'm going to search for this on the internet, you go I'm going to Google it.
0: You know, yeah, it, you're right. That it, it does count quite a bit.
1: If you think about the names of the the search engines, past and present, Google is the only one who chose a name that could actually get that style of usage. You mentioned Alta Vista. You'd never go. You know, I'm just going to Alta Vista that. It doesn't sound right. And Yahoo, uh, you're not going to Yahoo that because Yahoo's got so oh, many. Oh I
0: thought Yahoo sounded good.
1: Yahoo has negative connotations in many different districts. You know, a Yahoo is a drunken lout. It's
0: oh, I see. <laughs> it okay. was a bad
1: choice of name. Uh, Bing, you're not going to Bing something. Bing just seems like.
0: <laughs> I don't know what it sounds like, but it sounds weird. It,
1: it, yeah, you know, it's like ping. You're, you're going to ping something. So what are you, you're going to pro, prod or poke it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's what, binging something, you're poking something. Whereas Google, Google, well, they yeah, they just picked a good name. <laughs> really. It's it's a good nonsense name, but they, just the sound of it, how it rolls off your tongue, it does work as a,
0: A verb. The thing is, it's, of course, only nonsense in the way it's spelled. A Google, of course, is a number, very large number. G-O-O-G-O-L, which is where their name came from. The most intuitive uh, spelling for it is is what they went for. But yeah, it's a number. It's 10 to the power of 100. And a Googleplex is 10 to the power of a Google.
1: Yep. Is one of my favourite words, Googleplex. Googleplex. But then Googleplex is also the name, isn't it, also the name of the Google headquarters?
0: Oh yeah, actually, I think they. Ha- I think you might be right. They might have. I think they have called their, the headquarters the the Plex. I actually quite like the Buckminster Buckminsterfullerene. <laughs> that's my one of my favourite words.
1: It, it is a very good, uh, very good name. Yeah. Yeah, the Buckminsterfullerene. Well, Buck, Buck, Buckminster was just a cool name to begin with.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Buckminster. And to to create yeah a fullerene off of it. It's great, Buckminster Fullerene. Love it. Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> so that's Microsoft and Bing. Uh, now we're going to look at a couple of robots, as I mentioned. The first of which is a little robot designed to mimic the way birds fly, or at least land. And it does. It's very scientific. So I'm not going to go into the to the details here. But obviously, as you can probably imagine, there are no propellers, and it's certainly not just a glider. So it, it's neither of those. It, it,
1: it flaps its wings.
0: Yeah, it does flap its wings, and it sort of angles its wings. You know, you can just imagine as a bird comes into land. You know, it sort of uh, comes yeah, in yeah, at a very it's high angle, to, yeah, to and its, exactly,
1: or it, its aerodynamic profile. It's right. pull itself up short.
0: That's exactly what this robot does. And you know what? To do this justice, I'll post a link to the video on our website. So go to boysoftech and in the show notes there against this episode, which will be on the front page if it's if you're listening to this this week. In the current week uh you'll see a, the link to the video there have a, have a look it's actually quite you know and the thing is I must say if you're somewhat tech or mechanically or engineering sort of minded you 'll understand how difficult this actually is to someone oh, yeah. Yeah, to someone who has perhaps none of that background, it might just look like a really simple thing. It's like, oh, well, what's so great about that? Yeah,
1: it's a little thing that flaps its wings. It's like humanity have been creating devices that flap wings of various types to create flight for, what, hundreds of years? It's like some of the earliest designs for flying machines are of a type where you flap and none of them have worked. It is incredibly difficult to do, which is why, you know, you have to go really small scale.
0: There is one I saw on was it it's YouTube really like or Break? Materials. Well, there is one I saw just recently on YouTube or Break, I, I, one of those two sites, and, mm. and it is one of those you know strap on flap your wings and it actually works. It's just really, really tiring because you know we don't have the muscle power that birds do, and the in comparison hit, to our weight,
1: no, exactly the 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 power to weight ratio of a bird is drastically skewed to power. Whereas we're all incredibly solid.
0: Yeah, it's right. <laughs> but I have seen one, and I'll, I'll see if I can dig that one out as well and, and post that as well, because that's that's quite an interesting one, I, I thought, because it actually, this one works really well. It's just, as I say, its only limitation is our physical makeup as human beings, but the mm. device works brilliantly. So what, well, it's they, one they, of the if, recent ones. If, mm.
1: Well back to the story about a tiny robot that can fly. So the the cool part about this flying robot cuz they've had robots which can flap and all that sort of stuff as they're propelling along. The the key uh, innovation in this particular one is its ability to adjust the angle of its wings to change its profile so that it can you know pull itself up to a stop. and just, land just like a real on bird an yeah. yeah mm. And land in a specific spot. So instead of, you know, the current range of ones, which if you wanted to have that sort of capability, you'd be looking at some sort of rotor design, some one of the many different types of copters. This one was just taking off of the advances they've done in bird-like flapping for propelling the robot and allowing it to angle its wings so that it can pull itself up and land in exact spots. And you can definitely see where the point of this robot is coming from. It was funded by the U S air force and the U S military have been developing all kinds of micro air, you know, micro air vehicles for combat and ground situations, you know, ones where infantry throw the robot so that they can get a view of what's happening over the road or over the street or in the next building. And the, the, problem with a lot of those ones they throw is, you know, they throw it and it flies and then it ditches itself somewhere. This sort of device would allow it to not only fly over there and have a look, but it would be able to come back and land at the Marine so that he can pick it back up and use it again.
0: And it's it's a soft landing regardless of the terrain. That's the whole point, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's so that you don't damage the device. It's not I hiff it, it takes some pictures and then it smashes into a wall and you've just lost several hundred dollars worth of equipment. It's you launch it, it flies around and then it comes back, makes a soft landing so you can reuse it.
0: It's autonomous as well. So that's the nice thing about it. Now, as you, you're right, it was funded by the U.S. Air Force. Of course, the research, though, was part of the University of Illinois. Mm. Very good. Now the other robot I wanted to talk about is a concept, a proof of concept machine that was developed by Panasonic back in 2010 and it's been on trial since then. They want to commercialise it. It's a shampoo robot and as the name suggests, you basically lay your head back into this robot. It's got 24 little artificial fingers that gently massage your scalp and of course work the shampoo and then later on the, the conditioner into your, uh, into your hair. It it, look, it looks you know what, it's so relaxing that watching the video almost put me to sleep. <laughs> really, it's true. I I, f- I could feel what the, the relaxation that this guy was going through in this video it would look. It just looks so good. I want one. <laughs> Just for the, oh, just for the scalp know. massage, really. Yeah, <laughs> I'm quite yeah. capable of mas- uh, shampooing my own hair, but just for the <laughs> scalp massage.
1: <laughs> I'm waiting for the results of the first virus that infects it.
0: You mean computer virus? Yeah. Yeah, that could be nasty.
1: Indeed. 24 fingers that suddenly crush your skull.
0: <laughs> oh, just don't connect it to the internet and don't put a USB interface on it and you'll be fine.
1: What are you talking about? Of course, it'll end up being connected to a network. And of course, that network will have people who plug their USB in so they can play MP3s. Oh, it's well, going <laughs> <laughs> to be in
0: salons.
1: It's going to be in salons.
0: Now, this is in Japan, by the way, in case you're wondering. So it's in Osaka. Mm. So as I say, it's a proof of concept at the moment by Panasonic. It's part of a, a, a two-year trial, I think, and it's going to hopefully be commercialised. Well, that's their plans anyway.
1: Well, uh, yeah, that's their plan to create a a commercialised robot to do a bunch of salon employees out of a job. No, it's the point that they're developing this thing for is, you know, for, for elderly care and disabled care.
0: Yeah, and it's so, it's great.
1: Yeah, to be a device that you'd have in your home, so that uh, the elderly could stay in their own homes for longer, because they'd have more of these um, robotic assistants to help them do everyday things. It's not the sort of thing that you're generally. Well, no, you might end up seeing them, in, especially in Japan, I guess, where they love automation. You might end up seeing these in more salons, but then you're you're losing a lot of the training. Time for actual hairdressers
0: then. <laughs> yeah, but having said that, you could argue that you know that the washing of the hair is a lower value job than styling of the hair. So you know, perhaps yeah, pe- pe- it does make it's sense. Part
1: of the apprenticeship.
0: Well, not anymore.
1: <laughs> it, no. it, it yeah, I you, know. it, Teaches you valuable aspects of, of hair and head scalp care.
0: I oh, look, I just want one so I can get a nice scalp massage. So I'm going to look well, into the prices. Then these you things. just
1: need to get yourself a head massager
0: instead of going for the thing (laughs)
1: because this way you know with this one you're going to end up with a wrinkly pruny scalp because you're going to spend all day in it and you're also going to you know blow up so many electronic devices because you're going to want to put this on your head having it wash your hair while you're playing games and watching telly where you could just buy one of the scalp massages which don't require you to constantly wash your hair getting pruny head that you could just put on your head uh, while you're playing games
0: Maybe, maybe that's what I need—just a scalp massage. Look, I tell you what, check out the video for this. I'll also post a link. Or you could teach one of your kids to massage your head. Well, that actually, maybe that's what I should be doing. There, we go. Just, yeah, you know, just like you teach them how to do other chores around the house, like exactly. dishes and whatnot.
1: Dishes, take out the rubbish, tidy up their rooms, massage Daddy's head. <laughs>
0: Uh, Look, anyway, check out the video for this. I'll post a link in our show notes on our website, boysoftech.com, and you can uh, view the video there. Windows XP, Brett, would you believe it or not, is the world's most dominant operating system still?
1: Would not surprise me at all. You know why? It was the first of their incredibly great operating systems. They've had some good ones. You know, 95 was good, but then they had a run of bad luck. And they brought out XP, and XP was just absolutely stunning.
0: And Vista made and they, it even more stunning.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and then they followed up XP with the train wreck that was Vista, and then they followed up Vista with the awesomeness that is Windows 7. But a lot of people, when XP proved itself, moved to XP, and they're just not wanting to take that extra step to change from Windows XP to Windows 7, especially now that, you know, Microsoft has already announced Windows 8. So they're oh, not... Oh, they might so hang they, on is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not going to upgrade to Windows 7 now that there's been Windows 8 announced and Windows 8 beta out. So they're going to hang on to their XP.
0: Look, I still have so, a Windows XP machine. In fact, two of them. One's I a, don't. One's a virtual one, one's a physical one.
1: I don't at all. I still own a copy of Windows XP, but <laughs> I don't run it on anything because I have Windows 7. And Windows 7's compatibility mode to run things which don't normally run on Windows 7 is absolutely superb.
0: Look, let's put some figures to these operating systems for our listeners. As of April this year, XP is 46%. Windows 7 is 37%. Windows Vista is 73 Mac OS 10.6, which is Snow Leopard, comes in at uh, fourth place at two point seven percent, and OS ten Lion also at two point seven percent, and everything else two point six.
1: Wow. And, and why are so many people still on ten point six and not ten point seven? Oh wait, that's because ten point six is slightly more compatible than ten point seven to certain things.
0: Is it? Yeah, well, I've, I've had reports. Not. Actually, I have got a piece of, in fact, I'll tell you what, the piece of software we're using right now, I'll give it a plug, because it is great, Uh, White App Studio, it is from Ambrosia Software, we use that to record the podcast, and that is not fully compatible with OS X Lion, but the reason for that is actually, I don't really know whose fault to put on it, what it is, is that in 10.7, the underlying architecture of 10.7 is such that other apps can't get into or tap into or look at what apps are doing. And that's for security reasons, as you might imagine. Now, the software we're using, at least on 10.6 and below, is able to tap into the audio stream of of the apps we want. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's that's what White App Studio does, as the name might suggest. Now, on OS 10 line, it can't do that. The only thing it can do is get the unified audio stream of everything. So it's kind of not the developer's fault because they can't do anything about it. It's not really, And it's not really OS fault because Apple's fault because they... No, they've tightened security. No, they haven't tightened security. That's what it's about. They've it, disabled a feature. No, they haven't disabled a feature. Is it, that?
1: If it was security, then there would be a way to still do it securely. To completely remove it completely is to disable a feature.
0: Because every app now, at least the native apps anyway, are sandboxed, so...
1: Yeah, but that's still ridiculous. That might flow on a smartphone and tablet devices where you're kind of only, you kind of only do one thing on it. You use that app and then that's it. And even in then you get some really frustrating situations where you might actually want to use what you've created in one app in a different app, but you have to. Use third party stuff to get it off there and back in, which is really annoying. But to bring that into an actual desktop environment, a proper computing environment where there should be interactivity between, or you know, the capability of interactivity between all the different things that you run, so that you can have software that does stuff like the Wiretap Studio without having to purchase something completely different, which does the whole thing within itself.
0: No, no, it does the whole thing, it can do the whole thing. It can't cherry-pick certain applications because it can't get into certain applications, but it can get into the core audio, which is part of the operating system of, of OS Ten. It can get into the core audio stream after the chain of, um you know, after all the apps.
1: Yeah, but what you're saying is that the wiretap studio that you use on 10.6 has the ability to tap into the audio streams of independent applications, not just the one big audio stream that comes out at the end. Correct. Yeah.
0: But that's and because, that because in OS X, 10 10.6 apps can get into that, can get into other yeah, into know. other apps and at a very what low it level should be.
1: and that's what it should be. No, it shouldn't be. Yes, that is what it should be. Having a secure method to then you can get viruses.
0: You can get viruses that manipulate other pieces of software at a low level and you'll never and know what they're that doing.
1: That is why you have secure ways to do it. Still tell, that still allow that functionality. Tell you what, tell functionality. You what we should do. How would you replicate that functionality in 10.7? You can't because it won't let you. And if it won't let you, then it is not off, Then it is denying you a feature that all previously existed. No, And it's not the thing. replacing it with a f- facilitated, more secure way to do the same thing.
0: Here's the thing. The official statement from Ambrosia Software is that they're working with Apple engineers on this. Now, reading between the lines, maybe, just maybe, I don't know, but maybe that means that Apple are working on introducing a secure way of doing such a thing, perhaps requiring signed software. Because I know also just recently, Apple are reminding developers that very soon every piece of software will have to be signed, at least that's sold through the App Store anyway. So maybe they're building <laughs> that in. Yeah, how about how about we get Ambrosia?
1: So, I'll see. so we can watch 10.8 market share be even smaller than 2.7. As nobody upgrades to that because even more of their stuff no longer runs.
0: Well, same as Microsoft. Now everything's signed from Microsoft.
1: Yeah, but you can still run stuff Oh, you that can still doesn't... run it, yeah.
0: I'm not sure exactly what the restrictions are. I had a feeling for it to be sold on the App Store it has to be signed. I could be wrong. I think that's the case. If it is the case, it certainly doesn't stop you from installing you know, is something know something. Isn't it also
1: else? becoming policy that all of their stuff gets delivered through the App Store? You don't buy physical copies of things anymore?
0: Well, all the stuff from Apple are, is Apple and themselves and are selling through the store. Yeah, well, no, you don't have to. You can you can sell it anywhere you want. The App Store is just a great place to. But even then, to
1: have some of the stuff that Apple produces, because uh, let's see, Apple produces Final Cut, don't they? Yep. Yeah. Now, Final Cut is huge, and you expect that to be installed individually via the Mac App Store. That's ridiculous. That is a traditional media delivery, if ever there was one.
0: Well, Final Cut Pro at the moment is certainly available on the App Store.
1: I know, and I'm pretty sure it's the only way you can get it because they h- were complaining about it up at h- work. H-
0: how big do you think it is?
1: Uh, several gigs.
0: Yeah, um, almost. It's 1.4. 1.4 1. 4 gig. Although, having said that, there's probably extra bits you can download afterwards. Mm. But, yeah, it, you're right. It is huge. But, anyway, look, let's take this right back. How about, you know, the people who will be able to explain this better than me Will be the people from Ambrosia Software. What we could do is we could invite them on the show and see if they want to talk us through that. Yes,
1: because it would be interesting.
0: Yeah, it would be interesting to... to see, and maybe they they can give us an update as to what's happening with Apple if they're allowed to say. Mm. Okay, look, let's move on from from this. Was a story about <laughs> uh, the, the desktop operating system market share. <laughs> of XP
1: still being uh, the the largest market share.
0: Yeah, that's right. So almost, almost one in two people run Windows XP on the net. Amazing. Let's mm. now talk about our last story. This one is about the Google Street. This is just an update, basically, looking back at what had happened. Now, the Google Street View, you, you'll remember how it was widely covered in the, in the press. They were
1: e- illegally eavesdropping on Wi-Fi networks.
0: That's right, when they were doing their... Uh, scanning of uh, wireless networks that's right they were actually getting data as well now how did all this happen well it came down to apparently some code that was written by one of the engineers that worked for google and he's now been identified because he is the one allegedly who put the code in there and his name is marius and milner
1: yeah and it has come down that it wasn't some sort of accidental use of the code it was he designed this code and he put it in there
0: yeah. Now, what I found so ironic, that
1: he could do this.
0: What I found ironic, though, was that <laughs> Google itself, so far as we can tell, wasn't really in on this whole thing. It was something that he slipped in there. Mm. But, but here's the thing: Google still got fined twenty five thousand dollars. Why? Not because of what they did. They were clear uh, of that. No, no they still because- allowed
1: it. If they'd had any sort of proper protocol, none of that sort of stuff would have been able to slip in because there wouldn't be one person in control of it. Okay,
0: all right, but look, here, it's called Q and A, people. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> there's only so much you can you can put on there. But here's the thing: they got they th- there wasn't for that. The only reason they got fined is because Google deliberately impeded and delayed the investigation. Yes. Had they not done that, they would have had a fine of zero dollars. Mind you, twenty five thousand is nothing to them.
1: Oh, indeed. 25000 is a drop in a drop in a drop in a bucket.
0: <laughs> Although, you know, on the flip side, you could argue that, hey, if they hadn't have impeded the investigation, they'd be $25,000 better off. That gets you, what, half a developer? It's better than nothing. Better than yeah, a slap in the face, as it. they say. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of the show. Brett, that was episode 165. What five. What'd you think of it?
1: Oh, uh, short and sweet. I got my little bit of apple bashing going on in there so so I'm happy
0: <laughs> yeah well it's, it's not a show without a bit of apple bashing from Brett is it but no, fair enough and look let's, I'll invite the guys from Ambrosia to, to explain this if they're available we'll see what we can do in the meantime that is episode 165 of New Zealand's longest running tech podcast see you next week everyone goodbye bye bye
1: a good nonsense name but the just the sound of it how it rolls off your tongue it does work as a as a um oh what the hell's that kind of word no when you google something what is it it's an adjective it's a verb a verb yeah that
0: yeah <laughs>